Beautiful. Um, we are in a series right now walking through some really key words in the New Testament. Um, we know that there's kind of trans- translation from the Bible that we have and from the first, in the Bible that we have from the first century. And one of the things we notice over time is sometimes these words sometimes lose their power or meaning. And it's not because of what they meant in the original context, it's because sometimes things get muddied over time, right? And so I'm really excited to jump in. And I know there was some good feedback last week just around this idea of worship. We took time to slow down and look at the idea or concept of worship and the all-encompassing idea that the scriptures give. And it helps kind of rearrange or reorder for us um, what this means because it's deep, it's important, it's profound. Um, and as you can tell this morning what we're gonna do because of that, who, how, anybody ever had to follow an animated video that's amazing? Anybody, this, this like puts me in a terrible space with these beautiful articulated animated uh, videos. But we're gonna take some time and talk about gospel. Because I would imagine in this room for some of us, many of us that have grown up in the evangelical world, the gospel is this. You're a sinner. Jesus died for your sins on the cross and you better repent of your sins so you don't go to hell when you die. This has been the evangelical gospel, especially in the 20th century, right? Shaping for us this big idea. And one of the questions we have to wrestle through, though some of that is important, don't get me wrong, is this what the New Testament meant by gospel? Is this what the Bible meant by gospel? And I think when we kind of excavate this word a little bit and we see how it's used, you begin to realize this was not just a Jesus thing or a church thing, but this was very much a political word that Israel picked up, that was used in the first century to help shape for us something bigger than, hey, make sure you don't go to hell when you die. And is something I think really important for us to grab a hold of in the room this morning if we're going to live this out really well. You with me? I said it last week. This is, these words are very important because, again, I think some of us, including myself, are shaped by an understanding of some of these things. And we have to ask the question, where did this come from? Um, I have a friend in the room. We were going to start an Instagram account, uh, and this is really bad. We're just really, um, this is cynicism at its best. We're going to start an Instagram account called, what does that even mean? And just post clips of preachers we see on Instagram where they're saying things, and it's like, what does that even mean? You know what I'm talking about? That'd be fun, but totally cynical, okay? Um, this is what this series is about. This is a what does this even mean series, and each of these words, 12, 13, 14 words that we're going to look at, mean a lot and what it means for us as the church. We're also promoting throughout this series Najee Gupta's book, um, 50 New Testament Words of Life. And for some of you, you may wanna pick this up and just read along. And we'll use some of his work this morning in the idea of what does gospel mean. The plan for this morning, and if you wanna open up your Bible, is you can turn with me to Mark chapter one. I've taught a lot on gospel over the the years and we'll pull some of that from some of those teachings, but even deeper, what we wanna do is take a little bit of a look at gospel in the Old Testament. What? Isn't gospel a Jesus thing? Gospel in the Old Testament, I don't know if you caught it in the video, he said that Jesus carried on Isaiah's gospel. 
And I know it's early in the morning on Sunday, but for some of us, that should like blow our minds that Jesus the Messiah carried on something that had already started in the Old Testament. We'll look at the Greco-Roman world, and then we'll look at what it means for us. And I just know you're on the edge of your seat. You're so excited this morning. I can just feel it. It's palpable in the room. You're just pumped, I know. The gospel in the Old Testament. Fascinating that Isaiah's book in the Old Testament has images of gospel all over it. Isaiah 40, chapter 40, verse 9, projects a vision, and it does this throughout the, the book, of a messenger sent to announce a special report to Israel. And ultimately, this is what gospel means. It means good news, euangelion in the Greek New Testament, but basically that's what it means, this good news uh, that we see. And in Isaiah 40, there's a messenger that comes and is sent, and they announce to Israel this, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, where's Judah at? Oh yeah, he hears, his, he hears these all the time. He's like, that's my name, it's amazing. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Here is your God. Isaiah's good news in the Old Testament was about the promises of God coming to his people and there's this reassuring word in the text. It's this, here is our God. This was the gospel according to Isaiah. Here is our God. Our God is on display. Our God has come. Uh, If you read in Isaiah 52, this is what it says. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Verse 8, listen, you watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has confronted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. The gospel at play. The messenger bringing this good news. And I just want you, I just want you to see that it is not about the afterlife or escaping hell, right? This good news is actually so much bigger and I would say better than that. The good news in Isaiah is about all of creation being renewed and redeemed. That there is a new creation at hand and the renewal of all things is upon us. This is what Isaiah is heralding or or proclaiming this good news, this good tidings. You with me? You out there? So if you were a Jew in the first century, on your dashboard, when you would hear the Messiah come with good news, your dashboard would be blinking because you would be ready for this. It's not like some plan is done. Jesus is actually, we see the fulfillment of the Old Testament And Jews are ultimately in their mind's eye thinking about the full renewal of Israel as this good news. 
And so we get glimpses of good tidings all over the Old Testament in anticipation of God doing this and renewing all things. This story is bigger and better than, hey, you gotta go to church on Sunday, or hey, make sure you pray the prayer so you go somewhere when you die. It's way bigger and way better, and this is why I feel in my own life kind of living on the edge of my seat is because this thing, the gospel, is way bigger than maybe what we've made it in our context. This kind of gospel that we're going to talk about, this good news we're going to talk about this morning, calls our lives into something deep and beautiful, and it is into the way of Jesus. And so the gospel wasn't something that just all of a sudden showed up when Jesus got on the scene. It was active throughout the the Old Testament. Read Isaiah, the anticipation of a Messiah that would be part of this, but good news is all around, and it is the full renewal of Israel. Again, for us that have been shaped in the Western world, we just haven't been taught this for the most part. We purely think in terms of um, now and what it means for us instead of dialing in to what it meant for the people in their time and in their day. Then we get to the Greco-Roman world. So, just like most words in the New Testament, these words weren't mutually exclusive to Jesus or his followers, right? Um, worship was a word that was used in different settings. Salvation, we think of salvation attributed to who? Jesus, but salvation was a word used all throughout the Greco-Roman world that Jesus and his followers would then pick up. And it's the same with this word gospel. Gospel was not purely a biblical or Christian word. It wasn't mutually exclusive to Jesus. Actually, really, in its day, and many of you know this, it was a political term in the empire. Euangelion was used all, all the time in this thing called the Pax Romana in the Roman Empire, that there was this promise that the Roman Empire would bring a sense of peace to the world, except the problem is they stiff-armed everybody and basically used the sword to bring peace. There's actually an inscription in one Greco-Roman city that actually celebrates the rulership of this guy named Caesar Augustus, who you probably hear a little bit about at Christmas time. That's what we think of Caesar Augustus. And this inscription in the city actually names him as the savior who would end war and strife. The inscription actually hails him as the one, the climax of Roman hope. It was known that actually that the year of Augustus' birth was hailed, quote, the beginning of good news. That the beginning of Augustus was the beginning of this euangelion, this good news. It, it was a word that was continually used for the Caesars. You know what's mind-blowing? And this is like drop-the-mic stuff. But does, does anybody know how Mark's gospel starts? If you look at Mark's gospel in in verse one there, what does it say? Can somebody read it out for me? Yes. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now what is sneaky Mark doing here? He is giving a proverbial, I wanna make sure I'm saying the right words in this room, Um, he's giving a proverbial message, a drop-the-mic type of message, you picking up what I'm trying to say, in the face of the Roman Empire. You, You picking up what I'm putting down? He is basically saying, screw you, right? 
He is saying to them in his writings that I'm going to take what you have placed on Caesar as the one who would be the beginning of the gospel, and all the gospel writers would say, no, no, no. We have the true, the real, the ultimate gospel, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So when we read a, a gospel in the New Testament, I get it, you just kind of, Sunday school kids like me, you just kind of read it and you're like, oh, this is cool, it's about Jesus. No, 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 this is like, this is dropping the mic in the face of Caesar. In our house, we would say it is on like Donkey Kong. Are you with me? So when there was a new Caesar or a battle was won in the Roman Empire, what they would do is they would send a herald out, and no, this was not a person, their name was Herald. It was a, a role within kind of the empire where if you were to win the battle, Caesar would send them out, they would go to the city, and they would bring the great announcement that Caesar is king and lord and that Caesar was the one that would bring peace. Good news, Evangelion is not, a, not necessarily a Jesus thing, especially before Jesus gets on the scene. In your bones as a Greco-Roman citizen, you would feel that this was about the reign of a new king bringing news to you. And if you were in the empire and you bowed, that news was pretty good. And if you were on the other side, obviously you know it wasn't. It was the announcement. Now, Again, this is why I've been through my own journey the last several years and like, why am I here? Why am I in this thing? Why do I follow Jesus with my life? Is this just because I kind of was born and though no, not on the third day I rose again, but was, have been on kind of the front pew of the church for my entire life? I've had to go through this kind of wrestling of does this matter? And... This is subversive and real and punk rock. I love what the gospel writers are trying to do in what they are trying to counter and, and how they're trying to counterform us as the church and how this counteracts the way of Caesar and the empire. Now, when you read in Mark 1, if you flip down from verse 1 to verse 14, it says this. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming what? The euangelion of God. He says this, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has what? It's come near, repent and believe the euangelion. So Jesus gets on the scene and he is preaching and proclaiming the euangelion and I want you to see a difference here. In the evangelical world we've had the last several years, Jesus died for your sins, Make sure you pray the prayer so you go to heaven when you die. And this has led to things like the four spiritual laws. I'm not against all this stuff, by the way. Or the Roman road where you kind of have side one and side two and Jesus is like the bridge across. Fine. That's all things people use. The way of the master type of approach when it comes to evangelism. But do you notice something here that is missed? That we often miss and don't get? Has Jesus died yet? In Mark 1, this is not rocket science. Has Jesus gone into the grave yet? He has not. Has Jesus risen from the dead in Mark 1? He has not. Jesus is preaching and proclaiming a gospel, and he has not died yet. Right? I mean, this is, this is pretty big when it comes to the shaping of what we've done. Because we say the gospel is, it's all about the plan of salvation, 
but Jesus is already proclaiming and calling people to repentance and he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. I mean, this should shape our minds and our hearts that actually the gospel is bigger than the plan of salvation. Now, the plan of salvation is something, and we'll talk about that this morning, because that's the center of it, and the gospel writers and Paul would believe that it's the center of it, but, but Jesus is proclaiming euangelion, and nobody has died yet and raised from the dead. And that is because the gospel is the good tidings, the good news of the kingdom, not just personal salvation and how you get to heaven and get your fire insurance to get to heaven when you die. God's plan of salvation is at the center of the gospel, but it's actually more than that. Not just about personal salvation or Jesus atoning for sin. We have the gospels and we have Jesus proclaiming a gospel, good news, before he even dies. And so one of the things we need to grapple with is that the gospel is far bigger and it's actually the good news that summarizes all of Jesus' teaching. That's why the Gospels start with the Gospel according to Matthew or Mark or Luke is because they saw the Gospel not just as the plan of salvation, they saw the Gospel as everything they are writing and documenting in the life of Jesus. It is the, the whole story. And one of the things that we often miss is that the Gospel is this announcement that Jesus is Lord and King and that the kingdom of God has drawn near. Interesting that Jesus didn't say, come, I've come, and this is what you need to pray to get into heaven, but it's this much more big, epic, amazing, radical claim that the kingdom of God has drawn near, and it changes all of our lives. The tension with the gospel that we have in our moment, the, the euangelion that we have in our moment, is one, it is very individual, and two, it's kingdomless in our culture, in our time, and Jesus' gospel is deeply, intrinsically connected to the kingdom, and we miss the point when we have a kingdomless gospel. Scott McKnight puts it like this. Uh, you tell him I'm a little passionate about this. I'm very passionate about this. this, this um, we live in the wake of a lot of things that we need to correct. Scott McKnight says it like this, the gospel was to tell, to announce, to declare, to shout aloud the story of Jesus as the saving news of God. The tension is, is that the gospel, the euangelion, is not first and foremost about me. And I want it to be about me. Right? Anybody interested in recovering with me? You just want it. We, we want it to be a, about us, and that's how we've kind of got into our mode and our methods of evangelism, the way of the master, four spiritual laws. We want it to be about us, but the gospel is about Jesus, right? So the classic kind of environment that I grew up in, and I was part of a church community where there was some friction around this, but is you would stop somebody on the street and you would say things like, hey, have you ever lied before? I'm talking to you. Are you going to answer me? No. Have you cheated? Have you stolen? Do you have lust in your heart? And you're thinking, uh, I'm thinking about Wendy Peppercorn in grade nine, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe there was a little, right? That's not to diminish the holiness of God and, and personal sin. Those are things. But it's interesting that we've put the weight on a very individual type of gospel when gospel has always been news. 
It's always been the story of God. And it, it elicits a response. We're going to talk about this. It does elicit a response. But have you lied? Have you cheated? Have you stolen? Do you know how to find your way back to God? And yet the gospel writers would paint something much bigger for us. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, at the end of 1 Corinthians, helps give us an understanding of the thing that is most important. Paul says, for what I received... I pass on to you as first importance that Christ, died uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then, then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of, his bro of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have died or fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. According to Paul, this is his summary of the gospel, and did you notice it's not framed like how we often have it in our moment? According to Paul, the gospel is the story of Jesus and what he's done. Matthew Bates would put it like this. He breaks it down into into six different parts of how we could kind of understand euangelion and the euangelion of Jesus specifically, obviously. One, Jesus the king pre-existed with the father, that it started from the very beginning, that two, he took on human flesh, fulfilling God's promises to David. Three, right, so this Old Testament gospel that the, the Old Testament is cultivating, right? Three, he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So Jesus died for the sins of humanity according to the scriptures. He was buried, was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to many and he is seated at the right hand of God as Lord. And then eight, he will come as judge. We've got a gospel that is very individual. It's right now. It's got a little glimpse of make sure you get into the right place at the end. The gospel of Jesus is fully encompassing where he pre-existed with the Father from the beginning and he is in the business of renewing and creating all things. He is renewing and building a new creation and bringing heaven back to earth. That this is part of the story and that he will come and he will judge and he will rule. This is all-encompassing. This is bigger than just our little world as we know it. Jesus is doing something cosmic where the entire creation will be renewed and this is the good news that we lean into. And so I get it in this room, I feel it. Like Heather and I rub shoulders now probably as much or more with non-Jesus followers as Jesus followers. The last few years in our lives, just these really little glimpses of building relationships with people. And I get people's view of like this religion stuff and this church stuff. And I understand there's perceptions. I get it. But what if the perception was this? That we're not just like doing time here this morning. We are drawn into something that at its core is the renewal of the cosmos. No matter how good or bad church is, no matter how good or bad our relationships are or what we're feeling or noticing in our moments, this still remains true that the good news of Jesus is far deeper than we ever knew. Nijay Gupta puts it like this. He says this. He says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a theological formula for salvation. It's not a roadmap to heaven. It is the message of what God has done is doing and will do in fulfillment of his promises 
to bring a glorious, beautiful, just, and unifying kingdom, a kingdom with Jesus as Lord and Messiah. So brothers and sisters, we have a kingdomless gospel. We have an individual Lord in our context, in our minds a lot of the times, trying to save individual people. No, this is about the rule and reign of Jesus. This is about Jesus being Lord. It's about these fulfillment of promises for millennia that Jesus now is the fulfillment and the climax of that story and the ultimate hope is, is that kingdom is coming to earth as it is in heaven. And one of the things we lean into is that Isaiah had his gospel for the future restoration of Israel and Jesus comes along and he tabernacles himself. Literally the image we get is that he tents himself, right? So the presence of God was always in a, a tent or tabernacle in the Old Testament, that Jesus, the full embodiment of God comes, tabernacles or tents himself in and, and among us. And now this euangelion is not just if you're in the covenant or not. It's not just about being a part of kind of na nation state Israel or whatever it was in the Old Testament. This good news, this euangelion is for the entire world. It's for all of us. Bunch of misfits two millennia later sitting in a glass building, traffic going by, right? Here we are in this room and it matters that this good news is for all of us. And so there's really one implication. You hanging in there as we come to the tables? The implication is some of us feel the tension of our own gospeling and that tension is rooted in because we've made it about one thing. We've made it about us. We've made it about personal salvation. And I think the shift for our community when we understand the word euangelion is that if we truly got it and truly understood that it's about being immersed in the story of God, this would flow off our lips like butter, if butter flows off our lips. I don't know, give me something, that's terrible. It's been a long day, it's not even noon. You get what I'm saying. This would flow, some of us feel the tension of like, man, I feel like the pull to, again, like, have you lied? Have you cheated? Have you stolen? Can I draw out two, two cliffs and Jesus is the bridge? And it's like, maybe this has done more harm than good for most of us in this room. And maybe what we need to do is immerse ourselves in the story of God, in the totality of the gospel, and just proclaim it with your words, with your life, with who you are. Like evangelism and this idea of seeing the gospel and the implications of the gospel come to bear could be bigger and beautiful than we've, we've made it. And so I use the word important a lot and it's because this is important. If we get worship right, like we talked about last week, something changes in the church. The fully embodied type of worship, right? Liturgy, all of life, um, proskuneo, laying our lives down, all those things working together. If we get this right, who knows what's gonna happen in this church, in our lives. If we get gospel right, good news right, everything changes. And so as we come to the tables, and as we worship, and as we sing and celebrate, this is what we lean into. We lean into a gospel that is deeply connected to a kingdom that is coming, a right and just king. And it's good news. I know we look around the world in our moment, and there's a lot of bad news. This is what we have to offer. Something bigger than ourselves, or our own in little individual plan. 
the entire cosmos will be renewed. Stand with me. Would you stand with me this morning? King Jesus, I, I pray that you would flood this room by your spirit and do something among us with the reality of what we've focused on this morning. In our music, our songs, in our reflection, our contemplation, whatever that looks like, as we walk the aisle to the bread and cup this morning, this is good news. Jesus, you have come. You are the center of the story, and you're inviting us into a life that responds to that. So as we come, we eat and we drink in a small and little way to remember you, but we also celebrate good news that you haven't left us here just eating and drinking on our own. You are preparing and doing something. This isn't just for Israel, this is for all of us. And so we lean into it, your story. We respond this morning. We respond.